absolutely sure this is going to work. Does Power Girl have big... Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes. Dude. His dudeness, duder, el duderino. Dude, dude. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Okay, welcome everybody to another installment of the Legion of Dudes. My name is Ken Morgan, and this week we are going to be covering a timely episode. We'll be reviewing Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. This is volume one of the uh, Jeff Loeb uh, series, Superman, Batman. It just so happens that this past Tuesday, um, the direct-to-DVD animated feature from Warner Home Video adaptation of the book has come out, and just yesterday the trade paperback was re-released as well, so we figured what better time to go back and re- and take a look at Public Enemies. And joining me today is, I think we have for the first time in a long time, a full suite of dudes. Joining me today, we have Mr. Adam Umack, Mr. Johnny M, Russell Latham, Jim Dietz, and making his triumphant return to the show, Dan Ashland. Say hello, guys. Hi there. A good evening, hello. sir. I feel like we have to do a Watchmen book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it was Adrian. <laughs> hey, Dan, um, I know you've been really, really busy, which is why you haven't been around all that much, but you've been doing a lot of help behind the scenes for us. But, Dan, tell us a little bit about the project you're working on right now. Well, about, I don't know, about a month ago, I guess, John emailed me. Is that about right? Yeah, give or take. I send out yeah. so many freaking emails, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, John emailed me this link to this site called uh, Anaboom, which I guess just does like a uh, – like animation contests and stuff like that. But this one was to do a uh, Marvel motion comic, which, you know, I'm not really an animator, but I do a lot of After Effects work, so it's kind of in that same vein. So I figured I'd give it a shot, and things have been going along pretty well with it. And basically the idea is is you submit, you know, uh, the first seven pages of a comic book. You could pick Hulk versus Wolverine, or the one I picked, which is the uh, first Nova Annihilation book. And you do the first seven pages, then you submit it, and they pick five to seven people, the people in Anaboom and Marvel, and then uh, there's one wild card that everybody could vote for. Then, like, if you make it to that round, you have to animate the entire rest of the book, and then they pick one person, and that person gets a development deal with Marvel to do motion comics for... I guess, however long they can keep it up for. So that would nice. be awesome. That was very <laughs> so cool. how long, so since John emailed you, how long have you been working this? I mean, how many man hours have you put in? That sounds like a, an awful lot. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Cause it's the same, it's the same skill set but used in a different way. So it takes a little bit to kind of get into the swing of things. Plus they give you everything. It was like a raw file. So you just get all the artwork, all the, uh, speech bubbles, and, like, straight voiceovers that aren't edited together. So you have to, like, edit the pacing and animate everything and cut everything out. And, like, you basically have to do the whole thing. Right now I'm doing probably page, page and a quarter a day. But it took probably a week and a half just to figure out 
the logistics of how to do the whole thing. It's a completely different animal, but it's really cool. Like you have to, I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants because I've never done it before. So, but um, I hope I have a pretty good shot. But, well, um, <laughs> I'd like to say that I've seen what you've done so far and I've looked at some of the stuff that's already been submitted at the Anaboom website and you definitely have a shot. So I guess the, we wanted to alert everybody to keep their eyes and ears open. We're going to hopefully have more information and throw it up on the show notes and get it going in the forum you know, for everybody's support once Dan gets this submitted to the Anaboom site. Yeah, we'll have um, links up on the forum and on the website and everything, but uh, just go to anaboom.com. And uh, my username on there is blend, B-L-E-N-D. So if you look for a submission by blend, that one's mine. But so all this the correct is, link up and stuff. So um, this is the actual Nova series. I know that he's been getting a lot of press with, um, you know, Annihilation and then subsequently Annihilation Conquest. But this is from his actual series then. Is that right? Well, this is Annihilation Nova number one. So when Annihilation came so out from, okay. and it had all the, like, tie-in books, this is the one that focused on Nova. So that's okay. That's the one that they just released in hardcover. Then that's pretty cool. Then, well, I mean, space battles. I mean, geez, isn't I mean, didn't you pretty much grow up with Star Wars and crazy space movies? So I think that's like um, they just want to give you the trophy now or what? I mean, geez. Yeah, I mean, it's cool because you can draw on that kind of stuff. But like the the rules are pretty specific. Like you can't you can't use anything that's not in it. I can't even like type in titles that aren't there or kind of re draw anything because i mean when you cut richard Ryder out and you need the rest of the background because he's going to move off of it it's just blank space so you have to fill that with something but i can't just draw it so i have to fill it with stuff that's already in that panel so it's kind of that's kind of the time consuming part is just getting everything ready to even use so i mean that's the work of an of an editor and an artist too so good luck to you ken i say but yeah but what you can do i'm I'm, I'm just curious what you can do is I'm wondering, as you move that character across, do you just, what, take the, uh, like, if he's standing in front of a building just for whatever, do you just kind of paint it so it looks like the, the building just was always behind him and just use that? Is that what you mean by reuse elements? Yeah, like, if you're familiar with Photoshop, the clone stamp right. tool has been my friend yeah. the past couple of weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, so if, if a line would have continued behind his back, you just have to actually continue that line. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. It's amazing, really. It's it's very. I've messed around with After Effects, and it, it took me like eleven days to make the letter K spin. <laughs> so uh, it, it's hello really, world. <laughs> yeah, it's really uh, it's a crazy process, but we uh, we're gonna we're gonna crank this up. We're gonna get the machine going and, and see what we can do for Dan here. All right, awesome. Before we uh, head into the book. Uh, I just want to remind everybody to check out um, our new extended edition feed. It's now listed on iTunes as well as on HHWLOD.com. Um, that's where you can get a, lot, a whole variety of supplemental content from our audio blog, convention coverage, and a lot of other things. We'll be appearing on there um, as, as time goes forward. Uh, John, you and I added up something called uh, the pull list. We're going to see if we can keep it up as a weekly feature where we just kind of go over um, what new comics came out this week. And you know, if anybody else is... Uh, is going to the comic shop or wants to jump in, you might see more, see more voices on that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I think the extended edition is great for people that are up on the current stuff that's coming out. I mean, that's where you're going to get our Blackest Night coverage, our Captain America Reborn, our Flash Rebirth. Once the Lost television show starts up, we've been pretty diligent about covering that, except for Brad. I think after the finale, he's out, right? I don't, I don't think he's coming back. 
I don't know. I, he still has not talked about that finale. <laughs> I think I think a few weeks ago on Half Hour Wish that he may have just referred to it, the fact that he hadn't talked about it publicly, and still has not talked about right. it publicly. So uh, who knows? Who knows? But there's uh, there's going to be a lot to come on there, and we're looking forward to that. Um, uh, Adam's coverage of the Pittsburgh Comic Con is already up there, and uh, pretty soon, if not already, as you hear this, SPX will be up there. So we'll be hearing uh, some cool things. What's on your S- SPX coverage, Adam? Who'd you talk to this time? Oh, man, I talked to, like, the entire lineup from Top Shelf. It was amazing. Um, Andy Rutten, James, uh, Andy Rutten from Alley, James Kolchaka from American Elf. Um, I had uh, Matt Kintz from Three Story, and I also had, um, uh, uh, oh, my gosh, I just met the guy, uh, Jeff Cotter, who did Skyscrapers of the Midwest, uh, Fred Chow, and uh, didn't get to see Danielle Corsetto. Uh, she was, like, there was a huge line in front of her all day. Uh, Ed Pisker, Noah Van Skyver, um, a bunch of cool guys from Idiot's Books, and um, uh, one guy who did a, a cartoon strip called Watchmen Babies. It's kind of like <laughs> weird seeing Watchmen after a year since we put it down, but um, it was a really, really amazing show, and you can check that out on the extended feed. It's very, very cool, and I just want to go ahead and flaunt the fact that we have the other Van Skyver brother, whereas Brad and Frank have Ethan. <laughs> We've got Noah, and he is awesome. And Brad, Frank, and Bill can uh, take that to the bank and cash it because I got the other one. See ya, Brad. So uh, please, uh, if you can, subscribe to that extended edition feed on iTunes. And hey, drop us some comments on our regular iTunes feed and our new extended edition feed because the comments really help us out, uh, possibly get us noticed by iTunes and we can get spotlighted or be in the new and notable list and, and that'll help our family grow. So we'd appreciate that. So before we uh, we move on, as I said, uh, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies released on direct-to-DVD this past Tuesday. And uh, I had a chance to see it. Uh, I actually got a screen copy about a week ago or so ago from Warner Home Video. So they'll check out that and all the special features on there, which is a great treat. Yep, I watched it. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, I saw it too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Likewise. I thought it was uh, a really good um, adaptation. I mean, they definitely... Uh, changed a few things plot-wise, simplified simplified things to make it a little more self-contained because this book um, branched out into a lot of things, not only from the past, but also um, into what came literally years after this book came out, um, set some stuff up in the continuity. So um, they had to dial it back. But what was in there, um, yeah, they may have get to a certain fight scene a different way, but once they got there, it's practically page page to, to screen. So it's a really a good adaptation. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it today. Expect on the extended edition feed um, a full review and discussion of the of the animated feature um, in the future. But if we come to a certain scene like that as we cover this book, we'll probably point it out. So with that, let's dive into this. Um, I'm holding my hardcover edition I got back when it first came out, which is. I didn't realize how many, much I've read this, but I realized that where my thumb lies, the red ink is coming off already. So I've, I must have read this a couple times already. Um, what were some? How, who, who've read this for the first time with this recording? I did. Yeah. This is the first time I'd read it. Um, I really wasn't following Superman, Batman at all. It wasn't on my radar. Uh, Jeff Loeb for me, some of his stuff I think is outstanding. Uh, you know, Long Halloween. And, but some of his stuff just kind of leaves me cold. But I, I did enjoy this uh, now that I've gone back and read it. And uh, now I understand why it's getting the kind of praise it is. It's kind of a, almost a throwback to the old school, uh, kind of goofier, uh, world's finest comics of uh, the Silver Age in a, in a weird way. It's funny that you say that about the Jeff Loeb stuff, because I think that's exactly what happened in this series. 
I think it started off as great Jeff Loeb, and then the consensus seems to be that it fell off somewhere. Well, not to be too morbid, yeah. but when issue number 26 was coming out, that was to be his son's, Sam's, um, writing debut at DC, but he passed away at the age of 17 um, from, from Battle with Cancer. And so 26 was finished by, by Jeff and like 25 other artists and writers and creators um, t- you know, as a tribute to, uh, to Sam. And a lot of people in, in looking at Jeff's overall work see that kind of being the turning point. Uh, if it, I don't know if downhill is the right, the right term, but definitely a change. And I said not to be too morbid, but it deserves to be acknowledged because I, I was still reading at that point and uh, it was – I was still very new to comics when this was coming out. In fact, I started picking up this book in general because um, I wanted to read some Superman and Batman, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to just jump in on you know action or Batman or whatever. And this seemed like, hey, I can get both. I can get both characters and 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 kind of wean my way into it. So I was reading it um, just before a few, maybe a year before the issue came out, and a, a few months after this story was originally published. And I actually bought this hardcover because I wanted to catch up um, pretty quickly. This- this series has been, uh, in some cases, the diamond in the rough for DC. I think this is probably as close as they were going to get to, you know, like an, a modern day kind of like All Star Squadron or maybe Ultimates. It was definitely a widescreen kind of uh, purview of the universe. But remember that when Batman, Super, Superman, Batman, whatever you want to call it, was released, that they also released Superman Confidential, which was a flop. And they also released uh, Batman Confidential, which, although still in publication, uh, really hasn't had any uh, storylines of note, despite uh, you know n- numerous. Well, I'm not. I won't say all star uh, egregious uh, story violations and, and out of continuity craziness. So you know, I look at it as you know, up till Supergirl, you're in good shape, and then after that, like Lightning Lord comes in, and then there's the whole you know, if Batman and Superman were jerks. And it just kind of devolves from there, I think. Um, But it's had, you know, as a whole, the series has been all right because, you know, it had, uh, what was that one arc with the Little Justice League was pretty cool. And then I think it may, fingers crossed, get some steam going on because of the attention from Blackest Night where Grundy's going to be fighting Bizarro and Man Bat. Um, And that's going to be two issues coming up later on in the year. Um, It's a a good series. It's a good series. And this is one of those books that kind of – Sometimes is on my shelf and sometimes is in the for sale pile, and then mm-hmm. I'll end up getting it again if I see it on like you know fifty percent or less uh, or, or more for a discount and stuff. But it's it's been uh, terribly inconsistent um, as far as the entire you know spread of issues. If you're looking at you know right. fifty sixty issues now, but I think uh, you know these first uh, excuse me the first story arc. Um, and then the Michael Turner um, one after that are pretty awesome. Well, I mean, and you touched on a good point. Things like Absolute Power, the one where Lightning Lord and that came down, or with the Vengeance and a few others, you know, they almost feel like they're out of continuity. Um, maybe they are, maybe they're not. Maybe they just fit in the continuity real tight wherever you want to put them. But things like this one, Public Enemies, um, is very much in continuity in that, you know, we start with Lex Luthor as president. We see his, you know, when his downfall from being president first begins. We um, the Supergirl from Krypton story you mentioned that's the one that brought Supergirl back to the DCU full on that we haven't mm-hmm. really seen her as that since since Crisis sure there's been a Supergirl um, but not like not like this so I mean and that was and that was also you mentioned Michael Turner that's the only in uh, the, the only in the book art that he's done for uh, a company other than Top Cow or as his own Aspen um, period I mean he, he's he's 
very, hasn't done any interior artwork. He's done plenty of covers. Um, but that was the only storyline he did um, outside of those other two companies, which was pretty impressive. So, But that was a great story. That's the arc, the arc that uh, I jumped in on was uh, the Supergirl from Krypton. And uh, I ran with it right up until, I don't know, in the 30s. And then, as you said, it got wonky, and that's where I, that's where I dropped it. Because, you know, me, I love continuity, and it didn't seem like I was counting at that point anymore. So that's when I kind of walked away from it. Anybody else have any impressions on the book? Yeah, I I read it when it first came out. I was really jazzed about this book. I remember when they solicited it and when it was coming. You know, I thought, finally, we're going to get a world's finest type book um, in the post-crisis universe. Because, you know, one of the key things with the whole Superman-Batman relationship is post-crisis, they really weren't friends with each other. They weren't, you know, chummy, chummy, buddy, buddy. They're very adversarial. I mean, the first, they didn't even make allusion to it in the story, as we'll get to um, the first meeting they had introduced Magpie, um, you know, the, the Batman villain, to the um, to the story, and that's kind of how they met up. Mm-hmm. And um, they make reference to that in this ad- in the story, which is nice. Right, right, and it was very adversarial. I mean, you know, they they didn't like each other at all. And then you even see in this book where, you know, they may not really like each other. Although I think this is where you start to kind of turn the tide, and they start like each other, mm-hmm. but they're very uh, respectful of each other, and they're very, um, you know, they know when, when, it, when you know, when, when the chips are down, who they can count on, right. and if any of them ever went rogue, they know that they could count on the other one to reel them back in. That's what this book did very well um, for the first 25 or so issues, and then, like you're saying, I think, I think it really just, I, I really wasn't interested in the types of stories they were telling. You know, after that twenty five, twenty six mark, they were just kind of weird things. They had a missile quick story with the Joker that was just kind of weird, and um, and I dropped it after that. But uh, those first twenty five issues are just really, really good. Yeah, I, I described this to somebody once as you know, because he asked me the same question. You know, they don't like each other, and I said they fight like brothers. They may not agree on each other's methods. They don't think each one is doing the right thing or the right way. But when it comes down to it, they'll protect each other and look out for each other. And I think that's a great way. And that really comes across in this book, mainly through the um, the inner dialogue that you see going back and forth between the two um, through uh, through thought or uh, you know, dialogue boxes. Um, and that's something going back to the movie. I really hoped that came through, and, and I think it did um, in in the movie. And I said we'll talk about that in more. But I was that was important to me because that was the biggest thing I got from this particular story was was their relationship between each other. They're frenemies. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not a bromance. <laughs> All right, so let's dive just in. turned into like 14-year-old girls since the last time I was on. <laughs> oh, OMG. That's it. You're not my BFF anymore. OMG. That's you guys BF. have been Facebooking it too much. Yeah, really. Not me. I got thrown off. So I don't know if you guys are working off of issues or the trade or what, but in the hardcover, it starts with it's a two-page piece that was actually in the Superman Batman Secret Files, um, and it's just when Clark met Bruce. It's two pages, um, Clark and the future vice president uh, Pete, Pete Ross are uh, are playing baseball, and a limo uh, or rolls, I should say, is broken down the side of the road, and they're deciding if they should ask the kid to come out and play ball. And like, I don't think that kid's ever played anything. And of course, that was that was Bruce and Alfred going on a road trip shortly after uh, uh, Bruce's parents died. And even he says, you know, sometimes I wish they'd asked me to play, but by then my life had changed. I had no time for games, and uh, you know, that just kind of sets up, you know, the the diff- how how they grew up differently. Um, and so it's just a nice little two page spread. 
Um, as we start issue one, um, we get these um, um, alternating storylines of, of basically the orange stories, how different they are. Uh, Clark um, in the top panels, alternating, alternating panels, um, being blasted through Earth. Kind of a, all of this is like a, from a point of view of each character, you know, going through space, crashing into a, a, a field in Kansas and being found by um, a childless couple. And then also Bruce watching his parents die um, by, 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 by a killer's hands. Um, uh, doesn't know who killed his who killed his parents. Just know that they died, and eventually we see them as Superman and Batman uh, trying to find out to solve a crime. Something explodes out of Star Labs. It turns out it was Metallo. Um, Superman tries. To I, I just them. wanted yeah, to mention yeah. oh, real sure. quick, um, if you don't mind, uh, they set up something that's really important throughout this entire series. There are the different colored caption boxes, uh, depending on who is talking. Uh, they have the little Superman symbol, and then the uh, the orange caption box for Superman's dialogue, and then the blue caption box with a little Batman symbol for Batman's dialogue. And this is something that I noticed throughout the entire series that they keep mm-hmm. doing, so you kind of know who is narrating and who is talking. Right, and, that's that, and inner, I was say, that's that inner monologue I mentioned earlier that is critical to, to telling the story because it's very much um, part of the story, is, is what each one is feeling, and also how they're thinking about the other. Right, and it definitely sets up the dichotomy of you know between what each one has been through and what each one represents. You know, in this last panel, that sequence, this last page, you have Superman flying above the uh, you know, above Metropolis and Bruce on a statue on a building. You know, I've no- I'm known as a hero, an inspiration of champion. It's been a good life. I'm known as an urban myth, a frightening creature, the boogeyman. It's not a life I would wish on anyone, and it's it's just completely two opposite worlds, and how these two can possibly be. You know, best friends, let alone work together. It's it's amazing. Yeah, this really. I probably should have said this when we were talking about our experience with the book, but um, I started reading this in the in the hardcovers, and this was like right as I was getting back into comics, and this totally blew me away because I don't think I was aware of the dichotomy or the relationship between Batman and, and Superman. You know, I knew they were very different, but I didn't know they had this like tension. Um, because I probably didn't read Identity Crisis at that point. I hadn't read it. And I loved the back and forth in this scene of how they contrasted the characters and everything. I thought it was just great. You know, there's little pieces of the world as we see Superman trying to find out what's going on at Star Labs. One of the big things we see, Lex Luthor is president. He's announcing his re-election. So figures, what, two, three years, I think, since that he's been president so far, if he's already if he's talking about re-election at this point. Can I ask a question about that? Yes, of course. I'm sorry. You said this is pretty much in continuity. Mm -hmm. I mean, Lex Luthor became president when in relation to this. I mean, that's crazy. That's like making the Green Goblin the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, no, he he became president. Let me find it here. I have it. Um, I got it. Okay, go. Um, Lex got president right around 2000. That was uh, right before um, Bruce Wayne Murderer and um, also right before Our Worlds at War. So, I mean, really the only couple things that Lex did in his presidency was um, the, 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 the tie-in with the Superman comics. And also, I mean, he basically just did an arms trade with Darkseid um, uh, to, to get munitions and whatnot uh, for the battle with Imperiex. Um, other than that, uh, Kansas got blown up, <laughs> which is interesting because it's, you know, kind of like, uh, what was it, kind of like Kingdom Come in some ways. <laughs> with with that being taken off the map, um, there's no real like movement as far as Kansas goes for the DCU. No one's really brought it up or mentioned it. Right. Um, 
but as far as continuity goes, the closest thing to continuity you get is, and I'm, I'm not going to spoil it here. We'll talk about it eventually when we go through the book, is what Lex says at the very end of the book. And that leads into Villains United and mm-hmm. Infinite Crisis. And yeah. the Infinite Crisis tie-ins. Yeah, and that's that's. Yeah. that's I don't want to steal. Your, I don't want to steal your thunder, Ken. Now nah, we'll get there. Uh, I'll just add, as far as Lex's, you know, past crimes, you know, that was if you remember during the whole, um, you know, with the Supergirl of Time, which was the Matrix, you know, and there was all these clones <laughs> around. Luthor was it was a clone himself. His clone was dying or failing. I'm just trying to remember the details. Um, that's it, when he had that beautiful locks of red hair. Yeah, and during the death of Superman like, and all that. He looked like the brawny towel man. Yep. Only uh, even worse. Yeah. Well, in the end, and I don't know, I don't know if this has ever been played up. This this has come to pat to, to 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 come back to bite him yet, but Luthor's finally brought back to full health or restored, if you will, by Neron, um, and he's offered full health in exchange for for services and his soul. And uh, you know, Luthor he doesn't believe in the soul anyway, so he's like, yeah, sure, why not? What do you, what do you need? You know, as long as I'm healthy again. Yeah, that's right at the tail end of Underworld Unleashed. Right, and um, he he ends up. Uh, uh, proving or showing that it was a uh, rogue scientist, um, I think it was Cadmus, who um, uh, used clones to commit all those crimes that he was accused of, and he's acquitted on all counts, so he is, does not have any crimes under his belt, which means he's perfectly eligible to run for president. And I think it was around, um, I forget the storyline that used it, but Gotham cities and having the, the earthquakes in that, and I don't remember, but I think Lex ended up being part of that. The, what's that? No man's land. No man's land, and he was going to be part of that. And I think his he was also involved in our worlds at war as president. And that yeah. was the Kansas but thing you're talking about with Imperex. Yeah, if I if I remember correctly, he played the whole. I don't. I, I read Superman Monthly, all the books, pretty much from the, the the death of until right around this time. And one of the things he was able to do if I recall correctly, is the whole Y2K thing when Brainiac 13 came back and upgraded Metropolis and, and mm-hmm. started all that. He, he cut a deal with Brainiac and basically gave up his daughter to Brainiac in order to keep, for Brainiac to go away and for all, basically they kind of kept most of the technology. So I think he parlayed a lot of that in how he was instrumental in upgrading Metropolis and working with Metropolis to kind of uh, to parlay into the his presidential bid. Um, that and the fact that, I mean, this Luthor is a clone. I mean, this is not the Luthor from the Man of Steel. I mean, when he, when he found and, and created the Kryptonite ring, he mm-hmm. wore it all the time to the point where he got cancer and ended up having his hand amputated at first. Right. And then it made him sick. And then they faked his whole death on a plane crash. And then his, quote, son came from Australia. And that's kind of what was going on, you know, around the death of Superman time. And then it was proven that he was truly the original Luthor that transplanted himself in another body, and then he started losing his hair, and, right. you know, here and, we are today. Now, when I said well, the, the clone was, of course, like, all clones were dying. I mean, the, all, there were a lot of clones, apparently, at, the, at one point. They were all, there's a flaw, they would eventually die, and that's what Neron healed. He basically healed the clone yeah. body. Right, right. Because, yeah, he was starting to gen- degenerate. Right. And the beginnings of it was when he started losing his hair. I mean, we'll see if they keep that consistent. I mean, I would only imagine, Ken, that they're going to probably address that in Superman's Secret Origin. Yeah, I would I mean, imagine they, so. I, I, I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess here, and I'm going to say that they're going to give Lex a definitive um, origin on this. Because, I mean, they had him in Clark Meet in issue number one that just came out. What was that, this week? Yeah. So I think that they're probably going to deal with that. And, I mean, there's always the loophole 
that, you know, Neron restored him fully and it wasn't the clone anymore, too. So, I mean, there's different outs, but I, I think the bank for your buck for a, a Luthor story would be uh, Lee Bermejo's and Brian Azzarello's Lex Luthor, Man of Steel. You know, mm-hmm. he, uh, Bermejo's the guy who did the Joker original graphic novel, John, so if you haven't checked out the uh, Lex Luthor, Man of Steel one, you need to, you need to get on yeah, that. I got those like, yeah, I read it when it was coming out. It was one of the first things I picked up when I got back in. It was like... I was looking for comics when I first got back in, and that was on the shelves. I read that whole thing with hope and everything. That was very good. Yeah, I was reading that as well. And, John, we said before, you and I started reading again at the same time, so we're very similar in that. Um, the one thing I was referring to, what are we going to see the results of, is basically is Nier going to come collect for that soul he was asking, he asked for back, back in the, when he healed him? I'm curious to see if that ever played out or if that's going to play out. He needs to get that Get Out of Hell free card from uh, the Secret Six that Gail Simone had. Yeah, uh, absolutely. All right, so uh, I think Jim stepped away. If you're back, Jim, did you uh, – oh, you're back, Jim. Jim, did we uh, answer your questions then on that? Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm not sorry. A, I, not I, I'm not uh, all up on the continuity and whatnot. So well, you mean, obviously, this is like the, D, the DC doctorate episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have all the DC experts here. I thought I'd avail myself of them. You know, I, I know all the continuity from the 80s, so I know right. it doesn't count anymore. So, Just yeah. It's weird, though, because you don't know if it is in continuity until the very end where it can actually be placed in continuity. I mean, like, you could go – I mean, what is this, seven issues here? You could go six issues – Without knowing heads or tails, and then you know the last. What do you want to say? Ten pages kind of says, okay, well, this is where it goes mm-hmm. right before, right before you know this, but right after this. So, I mean, it's 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 a fair question. It really is. Well, I'm sure there's some listeners out there coming to this new after seeing the cartoon uh, movie. So, I'll, I'm representing them. Well, when we get into the uh, the next couple of pages, where we find what what escaped from. Star Labs or what attacks Star Labs is Metallo, and that's who Superman and then later Batman are now fighting. When it's suggested, and this is a very cool Metallo. This is this reminded me of the Metallo from the uh, the Justice League series. Um, I don't know much of Metallo outside of that, um, but it definitely reminded me of the John Corbin I knew from there. Uh, but what we're what they suggest or come right out and say, but well, what they suggest, I don't think they come right out and say it, is that John Corbin is who killed Thomas and Martha Wayne. And when I first read that, I thought, wait a minute, I thought that was settled, that it was definitely 100%, without a doubt, Joe Chill. Um, and I don't know. Can anybody jump in on that real quick? No. <laughs> no, I thought, I thought that... I can't remember how it went, but Zero Hour is what changed it, because... Changes from or back to Joe, Joe Chill? I can't... That's the thing zero I can't hour. remember. He didn't catch him. He did. He didn't. Chill, he didn't catch him in zero hour. Okay. But something uh, yeah. nuts. What was it? There. Morrison just did this one when Morrison. Well, that might not be the most reliable one. Okay. Uh, Morrison did something with him right after Batman six 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 when he was kind of like a crime boss and stuff. But it's more or less implied that he kills himself. But as far as you know. Um, that goes Batman. I, oh, nuts! It was Batman gives him the revolver with a bullet in it, and he kind of offs himself off off panel from that. Okay. No, that now again that doesn't match up with continuity. But then what? I mean, are, if you're going to count whatever happened to the Cape Crusader with continuity, um, I, I had just read this like two months ago. I'm pretty sure that uh, like Catwoman refers to him. As the bartender that's in front of um, 
this this dive that all the villains and, and Alfred and everybody goes into. So that's out of continuity. So like he's dead right now. But I mean, there were pre-crisis versions of him, and then like it's everything just picked up steam like right around two thousand seven, whenever Morrison picked him up again. Well, if if, if they left it, if they left it in any way as a question mark in that Bruce doesn't know who killed his parents at all, then this this book works because even here they leave it. As a question mark, they say yes. They say here um, that Corbin killed it, you know. But they just make it say, "Well, there's evidence that suggests it." So there's still a question at the end of this of who actually did it. So if 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 that's a question out there right now, if that they don't know who killed Thomas and Martha, then this can still fit in, in continuity. It just threw me off then; it still did now. So um, that's uh, that's that's fine. So many mid-level. Sorry. The other thing Zero Hour did was make him bat, make him into being like a myth, right? Like a like a a legend or a, a like an urban legend. Because it, it put, cause prior to that, I think he was outed, you know, as just a regular superhero. And I thought I can't, I you know, I apologize. I sound like an idiot, but I keep I can't remember if they if they undid the whole urban legend thing with Zero Hour, or that's when they introduced the fact that he was people just saw him as an urban legend and a myth, and that's what we're carrying forward here. It's, it's flipped back and forth so many times. And this is, this is the lead-up to, to Infinite Crisis 2, where we get all the craziness going on, where there's changes to everybody's origin right. pretty much. And, and, and there's a lot of bleeding you know, to what, you know, what version of each of these characters we're, you know, we're seeing. All right. Well, as we, as we move on, um, you know, Clark either... Clark is knocked down by Metallo. I mean, remember, he's got a kryptonite heart. He can affect him. Clark finds out this information about John Corbin. He goes to find Bruce, who's still investigating his parents' death anyway. And he finds him in a cemetery where there's Metallo coming back as well. But he's looking for, I believe, his own body. Because he's more machine now than man. We ever heard that before. And uh, uh, they, they fight. And in a great clever moment that I just think is like, I, if this, I hope this is done before because it just seems obvious, so obvious to do this, make a kryptonite bullet. I guess a fragment of his kryptonite heart gets broken off, so uh, Metallo forms a gun and shoots it at, at Clark. And jumping to the movie real quick, how they get to this fight is different, but the fight is pretty much exactly what's on this screen, right down to the gun and the kryptonite bullet. And it's just a great shot with a beautiful uh, full-page splash of uh, Bruce behind Metallo yelling, no, and, uh, and and Corbin, you know, pulling the trigger and Superman just falling backwards into an open grave. Real quick with Metallo, and I'm sorry if you guys just went over this. I had to step away for one second. Uh, has he always had a kryptonite heart, or was this new for this nah, storyline? That's his deal. That's his deal, right? And he's he's also been powered by it. I mean, like the Golden Age, the Silver Age version of him. I mean, his costume used to be completely green, completely orange. He he looked like um. Oh, uh, nuts! Who the um, robots that are in the Monster Society way back when? And he had a cape and stuff, but he's always been Kryptonite powered. Likewise, the Kryptonite Man was always powered by Kryptonite too. Cool. Yeah, and there's doesn't been, he now? Yeah, doesn't he now have like all the different colors of Kryptonite in him? I don't know his yeah. stats. They did that. They did that with. Uh, was that just that? Was one? it Last Sun? No, it's, yeah. it's sticking with it, yeah, because uh, what they've done is, after Gary Frank did the redesign with him and Reactron for Supergirl, is that they kept everything that uh, Johns and the Kubert, uh, and, and uh, Adam Kubert did with Last Son. So now he's got, like, 
Um, like his gear now, it's like orange pants and no shirt. That sounds like a party. But um, he's got like he's got like uh, green in his arm, or maybe still in his chest, and like red in his one arm and like blue in his other arm now. And they've continued that throughout um, New Krypton and World Without a Super uh, World of New Krypton too. So yeah, that's pretty much dead on. So Bruce jumps in after him, uh, tries to save his life, see what's going on. Corbin, um, you know, he drops a grenade or something on Metallo in the process. Uh, Corbin's able to reconfigure himself with his living metal Metallo and uh, literally buries him alive, uh, assumingly to expecting them to die there. And uh, I turn the page, and there's a nice two-page splash of President Luthor being briefed, and there is a big old hunk of Krypton about a week away from Earth. And... Uh, He's got a special team ready to take care of it, and there's uh, in the foreground Captain Adam and Major Fusion, and with a few heroes in shadow behind. One looks like he's got a Green Lantern ring, and um, we basically we know they're Katana, Starfire, Black Lightning, Green Lantern, and Power Girl. And at this point, they're in shadow, so if we're reading these issues, we're not 100% sure who they all are. And uh, I thought his name was Major Force. What do they nope. say? Yeah, Major Force. What do they say? Major Fusion. Major Fusion. Okay, Major Force is his name. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm sorry. That's okay. Thank you for the correction. Uh, the uh, he he popped up in um, some of the Green Lantern issues too, Ken. Here and there. Yeah. Stuff. Uh, yeah he's, he's kind of a weird guy. He's he's kind of like um, and there's no like direct you know relation, but he's kind of like uh, Captain Adam's more militant because you know Captain Adam with the mm-hmm. military and stuff. His, right. Like, his militant uh, counterpart. Their yeah. their power seem or their their nature seems very similar. That they're both basically just energy beings um, inside containment suits. Oh, that crazy Cadmus! Whereas uh, whereas Captain Adam absorbs energy, um, major force can shoot it out. I guess. Um, but Lex is you know very altruistic here. Is like the fed, you know there's this huge hunk of kryptonite coming to Earth. The federal government will handle this. Given the countless times Superman has saved us all, isn't it time we return the favor? Isn't that honorable of our President Luthor? So and he, you want. No. He, did the, he did the exact opposite when Imperiax came. I mean, he saw everything coming in, in Darkseid, too. I thought Major Force was the guy who killed Kyle Rayner's girlfriend and left him left her in the fridge. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. I'm not 100 percent on that. I, yeah. I think he is the one who did that. I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and he's acknowledged that he's just a killer. Um, but Luthor has recruited quite a few super superhumans to uh, be in his uh, his cabinet, if you will. So he's moving. I always thought that was kind of crazy that. Well, you know how in Kingdom Come, how he had like the Mind Worm and Captain a- and um, Captain Marvel and stuff. Right. He had Mister Mind in there. I, you know, I mean, John's got the Green Lantern ring, and I know this is comic books, but I was like, what in God's name? Why in God's name would anyone besides Jefferson Pierce, who at this point was undercover in Luthor's administration? I mean, he was Secretary of Education. I mean, I could even maybe, maybe, maybe understand uh, Hawkman. With you know the complete you know militant aspect, but I also was like, wow, they really didn't have that much of an out now, did they? When they put Katana and everybody on Luthor's side, yeah, it's really impressive what they did to uh, to get this to to get these people together. Uh, moving into issue two, we find Barry there's Barry beneath this uh, grave. You've got uh, Superman and Batman. Superman's got a uh, or excuse me, Batman has a uh, a little bit of C four. Looks like he's ready to. Uh, Blast a hole and literally blast a hole below the grave, and I guess the graves open up into the Gotham sewers. And um, 
there's a great little moment in the in the movie with this because this is in there, and he shows Clark the C four is like, "You up to this? Meaning, are you, can you shield me from this?" And saying, "We'll both we'll both live." It's one way to find out. <laughs> and so splash right into the sewers they go. I love the the dialogue again. We get the the alternating dialogue, and it's funny how sometimes there's a, a large dichotomy between what one is thinking and the other is thinking. And then sometimes it's almost like one is continuing the other's sentences or, you know, the, you know, the, on the first page, it's, you know, Superman is saying, um, it's odd. What goes through your head when it seems like the worst of time? And then you have Batman, no more air. So it's just kind of, you know, that's, that's what he's thinking, um, at this time. And then you have, you know, on the second page after the, the bomb goes off, you know, Batman or Superman says, uh, Pete wanted to go for help, but I knew if he did, I'd pass out. And then the, the, the thought balloon for Batman is, you know, dot, 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 meaning he's passed out. So it's just, it's kind of funny how, you know, how, how Loeb, mm-hmm. I, I think this is where Loeb has really shined in, in these, the inner dialogue, in my opinion, is what really makes this book. Um, and especially in these first few issues, um, that we see. Yeah, and this one scene, we talked before about one of their first villains together in World's Finest being against Magpie. Here they are talking about Magpie, uh, you know, that recently recently died, I guess. But you, you mentioned the inner dialogue. You know, Clark is so worried about Bruce, got to make sure Bruce doesn't pass out. And here's Clark, or here's Bruce talking, thinking about Clark, you know, knowing Clark, he's more concerned about me. If he can stay conscious, I will get into safety. So, I mean, they're both concerned about the other. This is that, this is that, um, you know, brother aspect I was talking about earlier. You know, they they may not always agree, but they will look out for each other to the ends. And that, as you said, Russ, is the most important piece of this book. This is what really hit this book home for me. Was that? Yeah. Uh, Alex, as they get through, they uh, get through an electric fence that uh, Clark uh, pulls down and he pa- almost passes himself passes out himself with. Alfred finds them and takes them back to the cave to be uh, to be sewn up and repaired. Here comes the asteroid approaching Saturn, and boom, boom tube, and uh, missiles go at it. And uh, everybody's a little concerned. Isn't that isn't that ap- apocalypse technology? And it's like we do what we must. Yeah, and I thought, this was interesting. You know, again, not to get too far off topic, but in the movie, they just kind of really glossed over this, and it was just some kind of vortex or portal that right. that everything went through, and they didn't they didn't really explain it. Um, and and. You know, I like the scene in the movie too. There's a lot more. It's a lot more celebratory. They think they've they've mm-hmm. done it. And Amanda Waller, you know, Amanda Waller is a lot more front and center in the in the animated than than in the comic. Right, and and this is a uh, one of those uh, simplifications that the movie did to get away from the book. I mean, you you can't introduce apocalypse into this and keep it simple. So, you know, it's a wormhole. Absolutely. You know, man-made technology, or even even if it is from an alien technology in in, a, in this universe, anything's possible. So they made a wormhole. You don't need to go through yeah, with that. Yeah, um, as go ahead. I'm sorry. Just to talk art for a second. Um, I'm looking at the page where Alfred actually removes the kryptonite. And Superman's standing there, bandaged up, uh, with his shirt off. Right. Do you guys? Does McGinnis toe the line? What should you ask us here? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's almost like a Liefeld Captain America. That Superman. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it's not as bad, but it's it's there, yeah. And he likes he his kind of uh, toes the line for me. I mean, I love his Hulk art because it's like a perfect style for the Hulk, you know. Um, I think it kind of toes the line. So there. Know, even like yeah. the hairy chest and arms. I mean, is that necessary? I've yeah. never seen Superman with a yeah. No, well, that's the machismo. But uh, there's a there's a lot of people who like a big, bulky, you know, bodybuilder Superman. I 
I don't. I mean, I don't think he needs to be, you know, super lean, but still, you know, I want to have. Honestly, I really like the Chris Reeve look, you know, because I don't think he should look overpowering in that. He should look almost like, you know, oh, this is a normal guy. He just can lift, you know, a truck. And um, when you draw him like this, it it just looks wrong to me. Uh, That doesn't mean I, I was able to not enjoy it. What was actually distracting was seeing this art style, because they really did a good job, I thought, in the animated feature of mimicking McGinnis's work. Um, but it was seeing Tim, hearing Tim Daly and Kevin Conroy's voices coming from those characters, because I've, I've seen them for how long in the, in the quote-unquote Timverse, that now to hear those voices coming out of these character models, it actually threw me off. But I did get used to it pretty quickly. Hey, let's go around the horn real quick. We're going to start off with Jim, since he probably can go back into some... Uh awesome silver age or maybe bronze age goodness who draws the best superman i'm gonna vote for kurt swan i love kurt swan stuff um one of the and this you know has the has the propensity to be you know an urban legend and stuff like that but um you know when uh kirby was drawing uh superman's pal jimmy olsen you know the word on the street was that kurt swan assisted him in some of those because he just couldn't get um clark's face down so kurt swan would do fill-ins for Jack whenever, um, you know, Superman came in from, you know, the, uh, watch and, you know, the, uh, watch decoder or whatnot. So I'm going to go with Kurt Swan. I think that's like a tried and true, uh, Superman artist, Jim. Uh, I think my favorite Superman is probably Alex Ross's, to be honest. I really like his version. Uh, I also like Gary Franks a lot too. They'd probably be a close second. Uh, best Batman artist for me, though, would be Neil Adams. I love his Batman. I'm with you on that one. I don't read enough Batman, to, honestly, just to say if I like one or another. I wouldn't be able to tell you who draws any Batmans. But for Superman, I'm going to have to go with uh, Gary Frank. Russ and John? Well, I'm not going to say that I have a favorite because I I rarely read Superman. But I really like the new Krypton stuff. Is that Pete Woods? That's my current now. That's, I like the new Krypton look. That's Pete, and then Gary's doing the covers to those. Yeah, I like that look. I wouldn't say it's like the best or my favorite. I don't have the Superman background, but I really like the way he draws them. You just like it because Zod's in there. We know that. Yes. <laughs> and Russ? Ron. For, uh, for me, it's a close tie on the Superman side between Kurt Swan and uh, John Byrne. I think, you know, I was Swan, waiting for that. Yeah. Kurt Swan was just so you know, monumental and, and had such a huge, I mean, he drew Superman for what, 20 some odd years or, or close to that. Um, so it's just, it's so iconic. I mean, that's, you know, when I think of Superman, I think that's the first, you know, on the, on the drawn page, that's the, that's the first thing that comes to mind. But I think burn is a close second. I just, and, you know, that's what brought me back into Superman was the, was the burn run. Um, so that jumps out at me on the Batman side. Um, I, I, again, I, I, don't think I can narrow it down to one, but Neil Adams and um, I think Jim Lee. You know, Hush was just such a beautiful book, in my opinion. I just love the way he drew uh, Batman. So, so on the Batman side, it'd be, it'd be between those two. All right. So uh, after uh, after everybody's repaired and cleaned up, uh, Bruce and Clark fight a little bit about uh, what's up with John Corbin. You know, Bruce is finding out that he could be the guy who kills his parents. All of a sudden, there's another boom tube. And it's a very, you know, older, not quite, but almost kingdom come looking Superman. 
um, who from the future who just showed up and uh, and is now attacking. You know, saying, you know, it work. You know, I can I still have time to kill you both. Apparently, they're gonna. He's trying to stop something from happening in this timeline. We don't know what yet. You know, the Superman's fight. Bruce is figuring it out that realizing that it is in fact Clark. It's just he's just older. Um, get a brief little tour of the cave. We're seeing like Batgirl's costume, Robin's costume getting smashed. Um, Bruce goes to get the ring just as the future Superman stops him and throws him into the uh, Adam West era Batmobile. Picks it up and is about to throw it at Bruce. Uh, Clark can barely pick up the kryptonite shard as he blows into Alfred's shotgun and goes to fire it. And he disappears and boom, turns right back to wherever he came from just before the, uh, the bullet hits him. And he says, I'm out of time. I only hope you don't make the same mistake, Bruce. Lex, beware. Trying to give a warning of something that's going to come, of something that's going to come soon. But we don't know what. I love the inclusion of the 60s era Batmobile. I just thought that was hilarious. Oh, that was awesome. It's always got to be that one that gets destroyed. That's my favorite one. <laughs> that Batmobile was at a car wash down my block this past summer. And they were like, yeah, they, I don't know how, what the deal was. It was just like a promotion or whatever. And they let kids like take pictures in it and stuff. It was pretty cool. Remember that Drew Carey episode where Drew wins the Batmobile and drives Mimi around as the Joker? <laughs> that was yeah. a good one, too. <laughs> but that was the, um, that was the terrible... Uh, What's his name? Batman and Batman Robin. Forever. Yeah, Batman Forever one. Oh, that was rough. Oh, where they didn't even have yeah. hoods? Like like the yeah. cockpit yeah, he, wasn't he even enclosed? They were convertibles for some reason? You could see the fuel lines yeah. right by the tires and stuff. Yeah. yeah. My buddy Drew yeah, and I always it. wanted to build a 60, 63, 64 Batmobile. You can buy like body kits and like bat phones to put in it and everything. Yeah, there's like a whole, that's a whole deal, like uh, redoing like TV cars, you know, whether it's the General Lee or the Batmobile. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's like blueprints and schematics oh, yeah. and all kinds of nonsense online to like do that stuff up proper. I mean, yep. like that's a, that's a, that's a real, you know, yeah, that's a real a, deal right we've there. We've got General Lee around here. I've got a Ghostbusters ambulance around here somewhere that I've seen driving around. Uh, they're all over the place. At the, once it was Philly, there was a woman there who had a restored uh, kit. Um, I, I, it looked like it was. I believe it was one that that was restored and not. Well, all the original production cars were destroyed. There were only replicas after that, but it was still pretty cool to see it. Somebody definitely definitely built the uh, Batman Begins Tumblr. I remember seeing those internet articles going. Yeah, around. yeah, I remember yep. seeing that. That thing would be wicked to drive around. All right. So after it leaves, we have a um, Luthor is giving a press conference. Basically, dresses down Captain Adam for uh, you know stepping out of line. He's telling the people of Earth the deal that there's an asteroid coming. Um, it's coming from Krypton. It's coming because of Superman. And he's an alien. He is a curse on our planet. I am offering a $1 billion reward, as he brings his pinky to his cheek, uh, to bring super, whoever brings in Superman to federal authorities. And uh, Clark and Superman are watching the, Clark and Batman are watching this. And it's like, what do you think he wants? A showdown. Then let's give it to him. Love to. And so ends... Issue number two. You know, this was the only thing that, if I had any issue at all, and I think the movie did a better job of setting them up as the public, the quote, public enemies. The, the only issue I really had with this book was the whole setup of trying to make Superman look like the villain because the asteroid was coming for him. Um, for some reason, it just never rang true. Right. And I, I don't know if Loeb did that on purpose, because as we go further along, we'll see that. When Lois interviews him, 
he purposely dodges the, you know, I have definitive evidence for, you know, this, this, and this, and um, he's never it. able to produce it kind right. of thing. So I don't know if this was Loeb doing this purposely to just, you know, show you how big Luthor's ego is and that he feels that because he's the president, because he's so powerful, that no matter what he says and what he does, that, you know, people will believe him and go with him over, you know, the world's greatest hero. So I just... I don't know. To me, something always just kind of was a little fishy about that. But. I think I think Lex Russ is uh, ten times better when he's not in power or when he's not in control. Because right now in Adventure, Brainiac is pulling all the strings, and I, you know, equally when like when Grodd was in control of the suit of the Secret Society on Justice League Unlimited, that is when Luthor shines when he's mm-hmm. not when he's not. Uh, I guess in good stead or uh, completely comfortable. That's when that's when the brain starts working, you know, and the eyebrows start getting raised and stuff like that. You know, I I mean, other than All Star Superman, I think that you know that that's probably like the best Lex I, I've seen. You know, but I but I agree with you with that. The whole arc of Justice League Unlimited, where Lex was running for president, I think was happening right around when this book was out, or shortly after, even maybe. But that. The TV show made a great point near the end of that arc where Lex is like, do you think I really wanted to be president? Do you know how much power I'd have to give up to be president? And to me, that actually makes a lot more sense than Lex ever actually being president. Yeah. I almost take it as, as too, it's like an in-your-face Superman. Um, Because he can, you know, Superman can never be president. Um, But, you know, Lex could. You know, he can attain that position. Which is weird because not to get too far off the beaten path here, but one of the things they did in Superman, um, especially during the Armageddon 2001 um, series, was that Superman could become president because technically, according to the Byrne revamp, he was not born on Krypton. He was put, he was created in, in a birthing matrix and sent to Earth, and he was, quote, born as he emerged from the matrix, and they deem that as... Um, His birth, yeah. Was, yeah, he was born on Earth in America, not born on Krypton. He was basically conceived in, on Krypton, but not born. So, um, so it's, it's kind of interesting when they make note here of he could he could never be president. Um, I think this is again where we're seeing kind of the shift more towards at this time the way Superman birthright and away from the burn, you know, Man of Steel. So is he like Obama? He'd carry dual citizenship and you know could be president then maybe. I don't know. I, I know that post. Uh, Wade slash, you know, I'm assuming Jeff Johns, you know, he he was born on Krypton and sent to Earth. Right, yeah. Which is, yeah, the way it's always been told, other than Burn, like you said. Um, right. There, anything else on that before we go to issue three? All right, then we have Superman and Batman en route to go uh, meet the president or, you know, to answer for these charges or do whatever. Uh, Lois is interviewing, quote-unquote, Luthor uh, live on TV as this all happens. When they are attacked by uh, a sound wave, and it's um, uh, Banshee, I believe, who uh, who basically takes down the bat plane, the bat uh, with with her screech, yeah, Silver Banshee, and uh, yeah. has a fight with uh, with Clark up in the sky, and he uh, he just goes airborne. Meanwhile, Lois and Lex are having that conversation where he's he's dodging the questions, not giving any answers as they go through. In one of the coolest scenes, and. And other than what's going on around the fight, the fight itself is, is again, right as in the screen with uh, Clark taking Banshee up to, to the sky to get her to black out. Superman is down on the ground fighting just about every cold-based villain there is. And through the communicator, it simply says, S, a little busy, B. <laughs> well, when you can, bring the heat. 
And with accepting of calling them actually Superman and Batman, and then instead of doing the S and B, uh, it's righted that way in the movie. And so he gets up there, he's like, oh, understood. Move to your left. And then boom, you know, Heat Vision comes flying down, takes all, takes all these cold based villains down, which was actually a really cool moment to see animated. Yeah, this whole thing is almost word for word, you know, like you were saying, the whole, even the placing the hypersonic thing on Silver Banshee while she's unconscious to, to make sure she can't be a further threat. Right. All this stuff is straight out of the animated. One thing I do like about the McGinnis uh, art is he, he draws Batman's face with the negative um, space a lot. We, we talked about this with the uh, Spider-Man and Craven's Last Hunt, how... You know, he's using the blacks to make him a little more mysterious. You see it on the cover and this shot where Batman's upside down. See how, like, you could see the white of his eyes, but you can't make out anything else on, on his face. Right. Yeah. I like that. I like that use with Batman, you know, to keep him in the dark. And, you know, that's more yeah. rings true for the character. Yeah, I was going to mention that when we were talking about the first few issues, actually. I'm glad you brought that up. Because it's very, the way they draw his cape and, you know, again, using the negative space, it's very Bob Kane. Um, you know, I see a lot of, you know, kind of homage to, to, to Bob Kane where when you see the, um, you know, the way, the, the, you know, the big, wide, sweeping, pointy cape and all that kind of stuff. I think I like the Batman, the Batman by McGinnis better than the Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always kind of like Batman a little bit more, like, bulky. It just seems like he would kind of... Well, if a normal human would you know. have the strength that Batman apparently does, he would. I would expect him to be a little more, a little stronger. Going back to what I said earlier about Superman, where Superman, because of his, uh, you know, the, the nature of his of his strength, you know, he wouldn't have to be as right. completely bulked up. Right. Superman's power doesn't come from his muscles. Well, true. That's true right. too. Technically, you know? he wouldn't even really be able to build muscles. You know. True. Yeah. Because he can't really lift anything to that creates resistance. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So after all these villains are taken down, coming from the smoke, we see two hulking figures, of Mongol and uh, Grundy, and, uh, and Grundy's a little more talkative and um, uh, a little more uh, lucid than he normally is. You know, having a nice little conversation as he beats, uh, beats Batman down. And uh, Mongol's... That's going to be a real... That's going to be a real... You know, just a, just a downer fighting somebody who you know, as a supervillain, only can recite nursery rhymes. Yeah, I would not want to have Grundy as my like arch foe or anything. Poor Alan Scott, <laughs> it's not good. And, and consi- like, this is the best you can do, really. Nursery rhymes, come on, what's with that? Yeah, and considering what's going on here, as we as they fight, we find out they're being mind controlled by um, by Gorilla Grodd. Um, I'm surprised that Mongol's even here. I mean, I didn't know if he's either visiting or based on Earth or what the deal is with Mongol. Very uncharacteristic here. Very uncharacteristic. Uh, Grodd, mind control notwithstanding. Very, very strange. Uh, Actually, this this was kind of a a, a hit to him. You know what I mean? Not that anybody's keeping score, but he didn't deserve to be there. This is the battle of the C and B list all-stars. I think this is called Ed McGinnis really wanted to draw Mongol. Well, no, where, I, where I'm coming with Mongol, my question was, you know, I was about to say, is he based on Earth at this point? I really didn't expect him to, no. to even be here. So it was just a matter of like, you know, well, how would neither, Mongol even be there? Neither did they. They're like, uh, what are you doing here? He's like, I have my own purposes. In other words, uh, I wanted to throw another giant person at you that wasn't Grodd or Grundy. Yeah. Yeah, he needs somebody. Which is weird because they've got like, uh, who do they have? they got Brimstone in there. they got um, they got Tar Pit. They've got... Um, Nuts, King Shark. I mean, let alone uh, Major Disaster was there, you know, so whatever. This played out great in the animated movie. Yeah. 
because yeah, they included did. they included everyone that they show on these pages, and mm-hmm. it's like cameo after cameo. That's about when I emailed everyone and said that you were going to pee your pants. Yeah, and this, and this is awesome. And then the scene with Nightshade at the end, right down to the uh, the, the line, but even the lesser antagonists have some value. You know, because, I mean, Grodd just want he's, he's just after them all. Which, what does Grodd need money for? I mean, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, I guess, you know, he goes after that. He, he needs to buy lots of bananas, yeah. Uh, so they, they, they do Grodd. Um, you're right, the whole Legion of, Legion of Doom shows up here, it looks like, as <laughs> you're saying. Which is, Sigh. Which is pretty awesome. Black uh, Manta. Black Manta's on there. Yep. Scarecrow. Yep. That's about Giganta. it, though. Giganta, Giganta Cheetah. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they do this and uh Rod Grundy and Lex. And here comes the same team we saw back at the end of issue uh issue one, Captain Air front and center, and there's Major Force, Starfire, Green Lantern, Black Lightning, Katana, and Power Girl. And um he's like, All right, you know, the caliber's here. Oh no. We came to take you in. So uh now they've got to fight heroes. They've been fighting villains, now they've got to fight some heroes. Yeah, and everybody on the hero side, this is everybody on the animated series except for John Stewart which I thought was pretty cool. And this is the the animators used, I mean, more so, I think, than any of the other characters. This is, like, spot on for Power Girl. I mean, Power Girl in the animated looks like she was pulled directly out of the McGinnis, the way she's drawn. Yeah, really all of them. All of them were very good. I mean, they did a great job um, adapting yeah. this art to yeah. the anime style. A couple things here and there, like I said, are different, but it's really, really well done. I was wondering kind of if... I. I was wondering why they left Green Lantern out of the movie, and the only thing I can think of is probably just because I guess the last movie they released was a Green Lantern movie, so maybe they don't want to confuse things. Yeah, they don't want to dilute it. Yeah, and especially they just did, uh, like you said, a, a Hal Jordan movie, and they don't necessarily want to do John Stewart at this point. But um, yeah. they couldn't get Phil. They couldn't get Phil Lamar to do his voice. <laughs> but they did get Lavar Burton to do Black Lightning. Yeah. Admission price alone. That's what it's worth. Yep. Who is you. just real quick before we move on, who's that lady who's the lady Shiva that they like kind of send after Batman and they have like the martial arts throw down? Katana. No no no. Same, no. Early, earlier in the fight. Earlier in the fight. Lady Shiva. Yeah, I've I've never seen oh, yeah. her Shiva. That's the chick um uh, yeah, Jim. Uh John, that's the chick from Hush that was holding Catwoman captive in the greenhouse um when Batman was fighting Rachel Ghoul. Okay, so she's kind of like a known Batman adversary. Yeah, she's um in the League of isn't, Assassins. Okay, yeah, isn't isn't he who she went or isn't she who Bruce ultimately went to at the end of Nightfall that kind of got him back on his feet? I never read it. I don't know. That has I mean, been some time since I read that. Uh, I thought for some reason at the end that that's that was like his final. Like his final challenge, he ended up going back to her on his journey somewhere. She, I know she came up in Nightfall somewhere. It just kind of stood out. Like even in the even in the animated movie, he kind of like, I don't know, maybe he's surprised to see her, and they have him say her name. And I noticed that it was kind of the same in the book. So I just wondered. I guess there is a history there. Yeah, definitely. All right. So as we move into issue four, I believe we're on now. You know, the asteroids still approaching Earth. Batman and Superman they're continuing their, their alternating dialogue. Pete, the, Pete Ross, the uh, vice president at this time, refers to, as, refers to it as Asteroid X. With all due respect, Mr. President, uh, he's like, like that's, you know, Luthor, that's the best you came up with? Asteroid X? It's like, it doesn't matter what they call it. It's going to destroy us one way or another. That is defeatist talk. I won't have that. 
So meanwhile, Batman and Superman are having their uh, their showdown with the the heroes. Um, they fight, and you know powers are on display. They go one on one against everybody. You know Starfire. Everybody's kind of making their uh, their positions known, if you will. Like Starfire, you know she's seen her homeworld destroyed. She doesn't want this one to be destroyed. Yeah, uh, they so they throw down Black Lightning's trying to trying to uh, take down Batman. Finally, Superman's had enough of this. Creates a big, uh, a huge whirlwind. He takes off with uh, with Power Girl. Come on, we need to chat. Um, but along with that, Katana and Batman had disappeared. We don't know where they disappeared to yet. Uh, again, another great fight that was done very well in the animated series. Um, everything except for uh, Katana. Uh, and Batman uh, disappearing. It was just uh, Batman and uh, Power Girl who uh, who got out of there and grabbed Bruce on the way out. Yeah, I love I love the inner dialogue from Batman where he says, "Clutch fascination with the wind." One of the many things I will never understand about the man. <laughs> like I grew up in I, I grew up in Kansas, cool. you know, it's our tornado corridor. Uh, meanwhile, in an yeah. underground bunker underneath the White House, Lex is uh, shooting himself up with something, which is. I believe it's a mixture of uh, crypt- liquid kryptonite, um, venom, the bane, the serum that made Bane, <laughs> and something else is in there. Um, I well, can't... the the suit's powered. the The suit's going to be powered by apocalyptic technology. Well, yeah, right? we're not there the yet. Yeah. stuff. So, like, yeah, there's the uh, there's the triple threat right there. Good lord, there, there's something else in that mixture, and I cannot remember. The tears of a child. <laughs> In the movie, they uh, oh okay no you know the, the the serum yeah the serum is just uh, the 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 venom chemical and liquid synthetic kryptonite uh, is just what's in the serum and he's going to OD on that a couple times throughout the book and then the power suit from uh, Apocalypse that's what right. it is they simplify it in the movie and they make it like a steroid kryptonite cocktail so they don't have to get into like the other stuff yeah yeah exactly, exactly. and unfortunately they do include the Amanda Waller kiss in the movie as well. Yeah, and she's just like, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Uh, she's so, a man. <laughs> you know, um, the best Amanda Waller moment is from the uh, uh, Justice League Unlimited when uh, Batman yeah. shows up in her bathroom <laughs> and to confront her, and she's like, oh, yeah? Well, we'll just have to talk about that someday, rich boy. Or however yeah. it went. Basically tell him, like, yeah, I know who you are. I know who you are, yeah. And and, and then Batman's, and he's actually speechless. He's like, uh, uh. uh so we go to Plan B, and uh, we find that Batman had activated a JLA teleporter, and they're in Japan now, where Supergirl and uh, Batman, or not Supergirl, God, Power Girl and Batman, or, Power Girl and Superman, Power Girl and Superman have uh, have joined them, and uh, they got the whole deal. They know who's on their side. Basically, you know, Katana and Power Girl were their moles on the inside this whole time. The rest of the team warps in. They fight this time with Katana and uh, Power Girl on the side of Batman and Supergirl. Supergirl. Batman and Superman. Katana takes down Major Force by cutting his hands off, basically releasing all the energy inside. <laughs> um, Superman's suddenly like, okay, here's what we need to do. And uh, best line of, the, of, this, of this, this issue is when uh, Starfire gets in front of him. He's like, you know, you're no person to order us. I do when people's lives are at stake. And Bruce just looks at him. You know, I have to hand it to Clark. He does that for the good of the innocent maneuver better than anyone. It's a shame he can't run for president. Right. And I uh, does that. Bruce goes to Captain Adams like, we, you need to fix this. He's like, I need to take you down. It's like, gives him the whole, like, this is times, of, if, in a time of war, you need to use your own judgment. Get down there. So Captain Adam uh, enters the force field that Green Lantern and uh, 
has created. Uh, Black Lightning and Starfire have been trying to bleed off as much energy as they could in the meantime. Captain M goes in to absorb it all and gets it all, but he's just warped out of time. We don't know where he went yet. And uh, all there is is Major Force's containment suit in the bottom of a crater with, with unconscious heroes all around him. And with the exception of Captain Adam not disappearing, not warping out of there, it's, again, pretty much there. Yeah. Yeah, Power Girl punched the hole in his suit in the, in the animated feature. But that was it. We had the JSA headquarters. Anybody want to throw in on that? No, the one thing that I, I that really stood out to me, and I think it's just reflection more than anything, but one of the things that Captain Adam in the Kingdom Come universe was kind of that gold color that we're seeing here. But I think this is you know more of a reflection than yeah you know kind of him starting to absorb the power. But I, I just thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it's more of, a, of an effect of the light, and it's very well colored to 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 give us that. Right. Uh, yeah. JSA is. About time to make their appearance and, and give in what's uh, what's going on. So they send Captain Marvel and uh, and Hawkman after the team. The rest of our heroes are on a cliff face of uh, somewhere in Japan. I don't think it says it's like you know Mount Fuji or anything like that, but it's probably Mount Fuji. It does say Fuji. Yeah, they did say Mount Fuji. Okay, so uh, they're sending in there. They're going to send uh, Power Girl off to distract a thirteen-year-old boy. Why her? Yeah. Oh, that's why. When uh, Captain Marvel and Hawkman attack. Uh, another cool move, the idea of castling, you know, the idea of switching places. So uh, Superman th- literally throws Captain Marvel off and Superman just having to stop him. Meanwhile, uh, Clark flies up with Hawkman. They have a little fight. Uh, Hawkman unleashes, like, all of gravity. You know, basically hit him with a planet and knocks him down. Batman finds the knocked out Shazam or uh, Captain Marvel, basically Billy Batson is there, and he's like, "Can you hear me? Speak to me, Shazam!" And boom, yeah, that's it. And we see last thing we see is uh, Captain Marvel carrying an unconscious Batman and Hawkman looking down on an unconscious Superman, and uh, that ends four. Doesn't look good for our heroes. I thought doesn't look good for Captain yeah. Marvel. He looks like the um, logo, the corporate logo from Bob's Big Boy here. Yikes. I not thought a fan, uh, not a fan of that art. I thought this was a scene to me. This sequence worked better in the animated than in the book, even um, because yeah, I guess not to ruin it too much, but this, it came as a kind of a I'd forgotten this part um, almost from from the from the issues. Um, when I read this originally, I didn't have issue four and recently picked up issue four. Um, you know, out of the first 32 of, of this series, I think I'm missing only two or three issues, and four happen to be one of them, so it slipped my mind. But it, it's kind of a really cool intro moment in the animated when they bring in um, Captain Marvel and Hawkman. And I think the the way that Billy, or that Captain Marvel gets knocked out in the animated is a little more true to him really, you know, kind of being able to be knocked out than it is here. And I think Bruce actually says, you know, say something. You know, not not tell me your name, but just like say something, yeah. and then you know you can see that coming a mile away. Yeah, it was a great scene. It was very well done. I'm glad to see it because, um, you know, I, I wasn't sure what would or wouldn't be cut. I mean, clearly, I knew there'd be some cuts out of this book and in, in the adaptation, uh, and I was glad to see that fight and specifically that move, like the idea of castling, and that was a great a great touch. Um, yeah. Not to jump too ahead into into issue five just yet, but. The whole scene with uh, Team S and Team B, basically the, the Superman and Batman families teaming together to storm the White House. Um, if there's anything 
that I expected to not be in this in the adaptation is that because it was just too much to fit in there, too much to explain, too much to set up, and uh, none of it clearly none of it was there. But um, issue five will start with uh, an assault on the White House. Um, we got some uh, some guards. Make sure the president's safe. Crypto, crypto's here, which is awesome. I I always love Crypto seeing Crypto, and uh, he's attacking some folks, just as uh, Steel, Superboy, and S Girl. He calls her S Girl. Is she Supergirl? I mean, I don't even know who do who is this. Do we know? This, this is CRL Supergirl, and she was she she was kind of a product of Brainiac. She was just kind of a she was made she. She was brought about to and made to believe that she was Superman's daughter from the future, and she was brought to the present and and put off as Supergirl. And so it, it was kind of a running thing in the Superman books for a while, and it, it caused a lot of conflict with you know even Lois and and Clark because they didn't know what to think of it. And it turns out that she was kind of a concoction of Brainiac. Just took somebody, I think, just regular person off the street gave her all these powers and dumped her in there and kind of messed up her, her memory. And shortly after this story, she uh, basically what she did was she went back in time and I think sacrificed herself um, and to, to make Brainiac go away. And it kind of undid all of the, if, I'm, if my memory's correct, it undid all of the kind of the, the Y2K technology that had upgraded all of Metropolis um, to be this, you know, totally futuristic city. And it made it so none of that kind of ever happened. So she, you know, she was, she was kind of a flash in the pan for the Superman books for a very short period of time. All right, cool. I, I had no idea because I had only ever seen her in this story and then I never saw her again because I wasn't reading the main Superman title. Even this is issue number five. Um, Six, seven, issue eight begins the um, uh, Supergirl from Krypton story. Even there, don't see her, so I didn't really know what, where she came from or what happened to her. Now, I mentioned yeah, this, she, is, this is Steel. This is Natasha Irons, correct? That is correct. All right, who will find it, I, who I didn't really know until 52. Yeah, she, she had a suit that was, that was designed by John. I think at this time, John wasn't um, going around as Steel. Right. I think Natasha kind of took up took up that mantle for a while. Yep, and had her own costume and everything. Yeah, she had her own armor, and then at the beginning of fifty two, uh, basically John Henry Irons took it away from her, and uh, yeah, she had to yeah. earn it back. And she was part of the whole Everyman project that uh, Luther was part of uh, in that story. So, but yeah, that's, I, that's what I assumed this was, and uh, I just wanted to be sure I wasn't speaking out of term. Uh, meanwhile, in the more covert entry, we have Robin and Huntress, and Cassandra Kane, Batgirl. Uh, doing their uh, invasion to the Oval Office, and uh, there's Lex waiting for them. Um, Superboy and uh, Supergirl, S-Girl, are trapped in a uh, sphere that's laced with kryptonite, and Natasha can't even break through with her with her hammer. It starts to contract and get smaller. Superboy, you know, wonders aloud, you know, in his outside voice, why couldn't this be with Power Girl? What? Nothing. You know, then they fight with Luthor, who's already juiced up on his uh, his serum. Uh, everybody goes down pretty quickly. Huntress, Cassandra Kane, even uh, even Tim, but Dick, Dick is the last one to fall, and he he won't even fall. Um, he just stands there. You know, he's groggy, is is all heck, but he will not. Uh, he won't fall. And then Elsewin, we find in sitting in what looks like a Mobius chair, is that future Superman when Captain Adam appears. This is where he went when he absorbed all that energy, and. 
you know, they'd have a brief little talk about what's going on, and the beginnings of a plan are starting to appear in the future here somewhere. No, I love the um, the scene in Luthor's office right before he unleashes the gas, where he says, um, "I've always been curious as to why Batman, who has such a reputation for being a lone wolf, would surround himself with children." And it kind of, you know, made me stop and think for a minute. It's like, wow, I guess that's kind of right. <laughs> you know, it's something you just never. You know, it's always front and center, but I guess you never really dwell too much or put too much thought into it. Um, but it, it was kind of interesting to see how, you know, Batman has built himself a pretty good family, you know, of characters around him. Um, and at this point, you know, even more so in continuity than Superman has. And I think that's, you know, obviously changed now, but, but I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing to, to stop and think about. Batman just wanted to read a new Young Justice comic, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Is Huntress con- currently used anywhere? She's in uh, Gotham Sirens. Yeah, okay. Gotham City Sirens. Because like the last, the last big push was, um, let's see, the last big push for her was Hush, and then that kind of subsided a little bit. You saw her a little bit in Infinite Crisis, you know, just running around and stuff. And um, she's running around with uh, Manhunter, a.k.a. Kate Spencer, the new DA of Gotham City, um, in the Bat books. Birds of Prey. Yeah, that too. I thought that, book, I thought that ended. Back when they did the yeah, cleaning house of all the bat books. Yeah, she was. Yeah, back then. Yeah, we're, we're saying yeah. currently. Uh, well, yeah, she was in that at then. All right, back at the Oval Office in the present, you know the guards start to attack. Steel's trying to defend herself when Hawkman's shield comes flying through. You know, and Hawkman starts to take him down. He's like, "What are you doing? Don't just." He's trying to break into the sphere, and he's like, "Why don't you smash it open, Hawkman?" I'm not Hawkman. As he uses uh, something to pick the lock and open it up. Just then, Captain Marvel, it looks like, comes in the Oval Office, where the rest of the team is is now all down. Um, He attacks Luthor. Luthor grabs his shirt and finds out it's not Luthor, it's Superman. So they did the old switcheroo. So somewhere off camera, if you will, they did a a switch. We just let them think they uh, they caught us. So, you know, they they fight through, trying to make it look like an accident. They get Luthor. uh, Luthor gets away for a little bit, completely jacks up himself with the his full serum, dons his power suit, and uh, he's like, I'm going to go after them. And uh, ready to fight. And that ends issue five. I like the power suit. And this is like a variation, right? Like a different look for it? Or is mm-hmm. this the one... Yeah, this is more like an Iron Man feel. Yeah. I think this is the first time post-crisis that Luthor has donned the power suit, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe. It may be. And, and we'll see him um, once or twice more before Infinite Crisis um, still wearing this suit. But there's a lot of times where we'll see, I'll just say a Lex Luthor, but um, it's seen at that point that maybe that, that, that it wasn't actually Lex. But we'll talk a little bit about that as we wrap up. Now, the original Lex costume, the purple jumpsuit that was from Challenge of the Super Friends, um, that, that already existed. But what Challenge of the Super Friends did for the purple costume was that that kind of, quote-unquote, made it famous. So that's kind of been like the, the purple jumpsuit, uh, you know, and that's been remolded and remodeled. If you look at uh, the Alex Ross, J- Doug Braithwaite Justice, you know, it was like a translucent. It had different properties and stuff to it, you know. Um, so that's been changing. But, um, Russ, as far as the um, Luthor suit, um, you know, you got the classic kind of like um, suit that Perez, I would say, refined in Crisis. Um, but I, I can't answer that though. If, if this was, you know, 
the first time since because, like you said, with the revamp um, way back when, when Vern did Man of Steel, uh, Lex wasn't the crazy scientist anymore. He was the business tycoon. Yeah, it could be. I'm looking at the cover of a cover of uh, Action Comics number uh, 544, titled the new. It says the new Luthor, and he's wearing um, you know a, a green and purple um, armor of some type. But it's it's it resembles this or this resembles that, I should say, but with just some more modern styling to it. So I'm not sure where 544 actually came out. When that would be. Yeah, I don't see it, but yeah. Um, as far as the styling goes, it's it's this is definitely inspired by that armor, but it's uh, it's his own take on it. So issue six, the final chapter of this story, brings us. Uh, they're in Japan. They're at um, Toy Man Hero. Hero Nakamura. Hero 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 Akamura, who is the not so terrible Toy Man, and uh, he's developed a rocket of of some type that's going to take out this asteroid. And it is, uh, it's a composite Superman-Batman rocket ship. It's uh, right down the middle, Superman on one side and Batman on the other. And even as Batman says, I remember when Dick, Robin, was this age, his Batmobile designs were equally ridiculous and yet inspired. And uh, as, as I open, we open this episode, will it work? Does Power Girl have big? Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that line. It's, yeah. it's funny and... One of the things I found interesting was, you know, Jeff Loeb wrote this. Jeff Loeb, you know, was, until he was removed recently, um, a principal writer-slash-producer on Heroes. And it's interesting that there's a, a, a young, genius-level Japanese um, boy whose name is Hiro Akamura, yet on Heroes, there's Hiro Nakamura. That's where I got the Nakamura from. Yeah, I got it stuck. Yeah. Yeah, very similar, you know, style. You know, both Japanese, um, you know, uh, Masioka in real life is, is almost kind of like, you know, genius level IQ. Yeah. Um, and his, his character on Heroes is, you know, kind of, a, you know, presumed to have a, you know, fairly intelligent. So Absolutely. I, I just thought that was interesting after reading this, you know, recently again to see the kind of the parallels there, you know, with the Jeff Lowe connection. You know, earlier in the series, we kind of missed over when it happened, but when uh, Power Girl and Superman were, were talking, Superman was asking her, if, are you feeling anything? Because yeah, I think even then Superman was starting to feel the effects of this kryptonite meteor that was coming towards Earth, and as it gets closer, he was starting to feel its effects. Well, here, we're definitely seeing him feel the effects. I mean, you're seeing these little uh, you know, green bubbles around his head, you know, kind of in, in, implying that his, he's, he's a, little, a little cloudy, a little foggy. Um, we saw that with, uh, with Nightwing in the presence in Luther's office when he's being affected by the gas. So it's starting to impact him just as another boom, boom, boom tube opens up and there's Captain Adam from the future. He has the kryptonite ring on and he's uh, going to knock down, knock out Superman presumably. So he can go up in the rocket instead of Superman. He makes his case, you know, this is the mistake that you made, you know, when, when you did it the first time, um, yes, you broke it up, but all that radiation still impacted the planet and destroyed everything. You know, that barren wasteland that that, that Mobius chair was in, that was Kansas. So Captain Adam's going to go because he can absorb all that energy and save the planet fully. So he makes his case to Batman, gives the ring back, and Batman lets him go, and he blasts off. And for the pretty much the rest of this issue, the main fight um, with Luthor and his power suit happens above with Captain Adam's journey below in the last couple, bottom couple panels uh, is played out. Uh, in Metropolis, Lex is, uh, is hovering over in his power suit. 
uh, Lois, Jimmy, and Perry are just taking pictures, uh, just you know, observing, trying to you know, get everything they can because they know they're going to need to report on this. Captain Adam is leaving his last log um, of what, what happens with the, the composite ship as it approaches the asteroid or the meteor. Superman's recovered, and he's now going toe-to-toe with, uh, with Lex over Metropolis. You know, they basically fight. It's like, we're ending this now. This, this is happening. We're, and, he, you know, whatever happens, this is going to be the end of our conflict. You know, he's blasting with every, everything he can. Uh, Captain Adam is still going there. Basically detailing everything that happened, how he was called by the President of the United States, and, you know, if it was, you know with how he was teamed up with Luther, with Major Force, with John Stewart. Trying, just trying to keep him in check. Superman's just pounding and pounding and pounding on Luthor, destroying his armor. Just Superman breaks open the armor just as the the ship impacts the asteroid. Flies him right, shoots Superman shoots Luthor right through some buildings. The asteroid impacts. Now Bruce comes and has his turn with Luthor. He's a broken man. You know, he's like he knows he's in Lex he's Lex Corps. Where is everybody? This is this is. It's, it's empty. Where is everything? And here comes Batman. Talia Head sold off all your resources. Sold all the property to Bruce Wayne. You're penniless. You have nothing. Beats him down. Finishes the job. And says something to Bruce near the end here, or to Batman, that I don't really get. He's like, why are you wasting time here? Shouldn't you be solving the crime of the century? Who killed Thomas and Martha Wayne? Where is John Corbin, Batman? Why would Luthor say that to, to Batman... Unless he knew he was going to get that kind of react a reaction from him, why to Luthor? Why would Luthor think that information would matter to Batman unless he knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne? Do we are we meant to think that Luthor knows this? That's He's, how I I took it as the message that he knew who he was. You know, much like you said with the Amanda Waller thing from the from the JLU. Right. I think it's really confusing too because, well, with Lex's last line, you know, that kind of plays into the fact of. Uh, you know, which Lex Luthor is this in some ways. Mm-hmm. Right, so he's about to fall to his death. Uh, Batman tries to save him, but he says, like, no, I don't think so. And he lets go, but then enacts a boom tube, which basically takes down LexCorp, the, the buildings. And, um, you know, you see the, astro- the remains of the asteroid falling to Earth, which will play out in, f- in future storylines. Uh, Superman is coming through, finds his way to Batman. They talk briefly about what happened, what happened next, what happened to Captain Adam. And the last thing we see, the last page of the book, is a panel of Luthor, green eyes are glowing, and it's like, there will be a reckoning, a crisis. And that page is, uh, is included in uh, a prelude to Infinite Crisis book as one of many of the little seeds that were planted in various books leading up to Infinite Crisis. So that's just one of many. And I was saying before, this is the last, one of the last times we will see Lex Luthor um, in a main book, he will appear in armor in uh, the Supergirl book, in the uh, the main series Supergirl. But I believe at the, from this point on, anytime we see Lex Luthor like in a suit, it's shown later on that that's actually going to be Alexander Luthor, um, one of the uh, protagonists of uh, of Infinite Crisis. So I mean, you know, the leader of Villains United, things like that. As you said, Adam, before this was going to lead into. Very rarely will we see. Th- the actual Lex Luthor, we're seeing Alexander. Right, so from here on out, everybody that you're looking at is going to be Alexander Luthor in the DC book. So this is 2003, 
when Superman Batman came out and, you know, this is six issues. So six over six months, you know, potentially that could have bled into 2004. So uh, that said, um, you know, when you see uh, Lex Luthor in Infinite Crisis, when he's in the Arctic, he's kind of like, where am I? What, what's been going on? You know, mm-hmm. like as if he's been like, I don't know, roaming the streets like a bagman or something for the last how many? Yeah, and he know, very much ha- better, will have been better has part been. of a year, right? Yeah. So, in, in the main Supergirl title, Supergirl comes across this Lex Luthor where he, you know, uses a piece of uh, black kryptonite on her, and she splits into you know, good Supergirl, evil Supergirl. But outside of that, I don't know of any other instances um, pre Infinite Crisis where we're going to find uh, where nah, we're going to see him. Nah, he's he's just kind of like roaming around. So the, I mean. Basically, what it amounts to is Alexander Luthor was uh, messing with him so subtly, not unlike how the Source Wall, uh, in a nuanced way, messed with Alexander Luthor to help recreate the multiverse and uh, make him bust out of uh, their heaven parallel universe and whatnot. So it's like, again, like you said, how would Lex know this if it wasn't really him that was starting the crisis, which is, of course, the cast from the original crisis? So the answer is simple, is that Jeff Loeb left for Marvel, and the story beats were not too terribly important with one line to hold it up, and Lex was just taken off the table, and they basically just wrote it off as, well, he's still in his suit, it's a little beat up, and he's basically uh, been on uh, a hangover from Venom and uh, Kryptonite for the last how many months, and uh, he's at the North Pole, so... (laughs) Retcons are an amazing thing, but like I said, uh, it, 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 it made sense in Infinite Crisis to see him where he was, but uh, I think everyone was shocked to see that um, Alexander Luthor um, you know, was the villain behind Infinite Crisis. Although notwithstanding, of course, Lex did kind of get his act together um, with the Secret Six, and uh, you know, he took on um, the identity of Mockingbird, which is an old Marvel and an old DC character. Uh, two different, you know, altogether, but uh, but still an interesting position that he placed himself in. But still, I mean, even in the wake of uh, Villains United slash Secret Six, I mean, he still was kind of, um, I guess, uh, delusional is, would be a good way to put things. Yeah, I'd say so. Maybe, yeah, delusional, not deluded, but, you know, he, he was just kind of out of sorts. Yeah. All right, so what are some of our final thoughts? Anyone want to comment on the book? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in. I, I like this book a lot. I, I always like the first two arcs i like the supergirl arc and and this original one and, and then i i did feel that it fell off uh for a long period of time and i haven't picked up the title since then and i understand it's getting a little better and, and picking up a little steam but I, again the, the whole book here really is the relationship between batman and, and superman i think this is probably one of the best done uh books in that area that i've read anyway um, and I do really like McGinnis's art with Batman, not so much with Superman, but not enough to make me, you know, turn me off to the book. Well, I, I kind of like I I'm with you. Like, I like the first um, the first two arcs in this. But uh, the really the thing with me is, is like uh, Ken and I had discussed this the other night, like my thoughts on continuity and all that kind of stuff. He knows where I stand on it. But uh, it. To me, it's a cool, like, little just fun one-off story. It almost kind of reminds me of, uh, almost kind of the feel of, like, what the new Brave and the Bold cartoon is. It's a little bit more serious, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's it's just a fun, you know, like, let's, Lex Luthor is president, and he's going to start screwing stuff up. 
you know, that's kind of all you need to know to get into it. Right. And it's just a fun read. And a casting call of every yeah. superhero and villain that you can pack in. Yeah, but they don't they don't have like such an impact on the story that I need to know, you know, everybody's backstory. Right. And I just need to know that this dude shoots laser beams out of his arms, you know. Yeah, and and to my my point, most books are like that. I mean, there's very few books where you need to know the backstory about every single character, but while you, that's all you need to know to enjoy this story by itself. Um it's fun to know that, you know, well Lex became president in this story or to know that this me- the meteors that still fell to Earth are still out there, and there's gonna there's a story arc, you know, twenty some issues down the road where they have to go, they're gonna go and collect all that, or that the next full arc is part of that collecting of kryptonite, and uh, they find a a spaceship in there, and that is carrying Supergirl. This the whole meteorite was actually had Supergirl's spacecraft encased in it, you know, and that so this begets that, which begets the whole new series called Supergirl, uh, and everything every time you see Supergirl since then. Um, in a way, came out of this book, or at least you know was given a starting point because of this book. So while- it's also weird because Ken, this book's also one of the perpetrators that kind of like screwed up the new Supergirl too. Because remember, they just retconned her in um, her own title because of all the uh, ways she was acting crazy and stuff. Like how she, as soon as she, you know, she lands on Earth and gets trained a little bit and stuff, she goes over well against her will, of course. But Darkseid kind of ensnares her and stuff. And like, yeah. well, already we've got a, we've got a, she's already turned bad. It's like, wow, it's the Silver Age immediately. So like what they did was they just wrote off, well, you know, all that crazy kryptonite that you were surrounded in for how many years? Mm-hmm. That was poison and you have kryptonite poisoning. We're going to uncheck the crazy part of your brain and make you straight. And that was the retcon. And that was only what, a couple months ago? A couple months ago, there's a couple pages and it's done. You know, and, and that's fine. But yeah, all these, all this inconsistent storytelling with Supergirl uh, that because that, all these different writers were touching her, so to speak. <laughs> and write in different ways, but they had a lot to build with, and it's like, okay, let's clean it up right here, fresh start, go. Well, and you know, the typical arc on Batman Superman is what? Two issues? Three issues? It, it know, depends. And, and... The, the, the cast is, the, the art group and the creative group, you know, this was kind of like the incontinuity all-star line for, uh, at least with, you know, Jeff and Ed starting this off. Right. No, They've had, like I said, varying degrees of success, not just critically, but well, artistically too. Right. You know, so uh, they know they know what's going on with the book, and you know, uh, they've said in as many words that in the Superman family panels and stuff that it's going to start to slowly kind of creep its way back into continuity. So we'll yeah, see. And and I hope it I hope it does, and I might start reading it again if it does. I'm going to be reading the Solomon Grundy, uh, you know, issue Blackest Night tie-in issue. When I when I stopped reading it, it was when. You know, I loved Public Enemies, I said. I loved the Supergirl one. I loved Absolute Power, where they did this, you know, alternate timeline one where uh, with Lightning Lad and the, and the uh, uh, supervillains from the, from the future. Uh, and it was very good. But it seemed like every storyline since then was a play on, well, Superman's gone bad and Batman's got to stop him. Or Batman's gone bad and Superman's got to stop him. Or they're both gone bad and now everybody's got to stop them. You know, it just seems like to just rotate between that and it just got redundant and, rep- and, and boring. So that's when I dropped it. So if they can get out, if they have or if they're going to break out of that and start to sell some good team-up stories like this one, then I definitely can get back on board. I agree. I, I'm kind of in damned court on this book. There's certain books that I don't really pay too much attention to continuity as far as where it fits or what's going on. To me, they could tell these stories and put them in, you know, whatever era and whatever timeline they want. It doesn't much matter to me. I just like, I like it when Superman and Batman team up and I like when it's done well. And 
you know, I was, like I said, I was on board from, from this book, from issue one, and, and stuck with it until the stories just kind of got just ridiculous, in my opinion, and just, like you were saying, Ken, I think it was just, you know, one of them's gone crazy, or the other one's gone crazy, or they both, and it just, it just got to where it just, it was to me, it just wasn't fun to read anymore. And I think it was a shame, because I think, given where this book started, and what it started with, um, it had so much potential to be so consistent and such a good, solid book. You know, we talk a lot about new reader-friendly, and I think this is definitely, if you haven't really been a big Batman or Superman fan and reading those books monthly, I think this was a great book that people could jump in on. I mean, it starts right off the bat and kind of recaps both their origins, you know, gives you, you know, the story from their from each each's perspective. There's a, enough of a backstory of the characters they introduce, just little blurbs here and there, and they're kind of bit players that you can get the gist of it. And, you know, it's not, you know, ultra-tied into continuity to where you feel like, you know, you're lost. You know, again, like we said, it's great if you know all that stuff, but not too critical if you don't. Um, and I'd like to see that book get back get, get back there again. That's exactly how I, how, why I started reading it, because I was looking for something with both characters. Um, well, I was, looking to, I was looking to read something with one or both those characters, and this was perfect for me. And that's why I started reading it, and, and I really enjoyed these early arcs. All right. Um, I think we have heard from anybody. Anybody else want to jump in? I think we're good to go. Well, in that case, I want to thank everybody out there for joining us for this look at Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. Um, if you have not seen it yet, go rent, buy, pick up whatever the um, the animated feature. You will not be disappointed. It is very, very good. And uh, also to keep an eye on the extended edition feed for our review and an in-depth discussion on that. Um, you can find that feed on iTunes. You can leave us a, uh, a review on either our main Half Hour Wasted Legion of Dudes feed or the Extended Edition show, or both if you, if you prefer. Um, go to half hour, go to legionofdudes.com for, for all this content and more, and also leave us a voicemail at 972-7-9... Oh, I'm on Half Hour Wasted page. Here I'm, here I'm saying before, yeah, I got it up here. I've got half our waste page up here. All right. Leave us a voicemail at 516-468-7912 or, of course, email to comments at legionofdudes.com. And you'll always find us at the comicsforums.com. Just scroll down to Half Hour Wasted and the Legion of Dudes, and you can find our talkback threads there. Participate. We love it. That's the key. That's, that's, that's how we get paid is, is, is the feedback from you guys. So I appreciate that. <laughs> And uh, on behalf of the rest of the dudes and for coming here, I just want to say to everybody, good night and thank you. Take care. Right. See you.